University's talk show, Taking Old School Viral. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie. Welcome to Folk You Radio, where we ask our neighbors, what do you know? Folk University is an experiment in neighborliness and slow learning and using our interests, our skills, and our beliefs as a way of connecting and bringing each other closer in community. Where are you listening from today, neighbor? Who are the people that have walked and cared for the land, water, and air where you live, work, and play? Cortez Community Radio sits on the ancestral and territorial lands of the Kalahus, Kalaaman, and Hamako peoples. I'd like to thank this land, the people who have walked this land through time, and all those that continue to love and work to honor this place we call home. So I'm going to start with a little bit of a disclaimer today. Uh, one, we'll be talking about some things that uh, might be pretty triggering. And... Um, and we're also, I want to, we're also going to be talking about a big corporation, a big corporation that has a lot more money uh, than Cortez Community Radio Society. In fact, you could have pretty much no money and have more ra- money than the Cortez Community Radio Society. So I want you to remember that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily reflect those of the Cortez Community Radio Society, its management, staff, sponsors, volunteers, or a folk university. We don't have anything, so it'd be harder for you to sue us, but please try not to. Now, with all those disclaimers uh, out of the way, I want to let you know we are here today to talk about Chevron. So so does this mean that any, that Chevron should just sue me personally for anything I say today? Uh, uh, we're, we're going to also include you in our disclaimer. Um, our lawyers are signing off on it right now. Okay, I, so Rex also. I don't want a disclaimer. I, I want them to sue me. No, you don't. Don't say that. Sure, I'd love to, I'd love to stand up in court and tell this story. Well, I, I, you would. Well, you're going to stand up in the court of Folk University and tell the story today. What story you're asking? The story about Chevron and the devastation they left behind in a community in Ecuador, the hundreds of human and non-human victims from this devastation, and the way they have silenced, in fact, the stories of this devastation and what's come since. It's a big story. It's a huge story. Um, and even as I was preparing for how we were going to begin to talk about it. Um, I was finding that to try to make sense of a, a story that reads 
um, or sounds, or I experience like one of those uh, Spanish novellas, right? Um, or the soap operas that just go on and on. And even if you watch them for 10 years, you're still sort of like, wait, what? What? How's that happening? So it's a little bit like that. I've made sense of it in my mind by starting to think about it in two parts. The first part being maybe we would call it the backstory, uh, unfortunately, which is the, the crime. The, yeah, the crime, the ecological devastation, the human devastation, the crime. The crime. The crime. And then the second part is, um, well, is also many crimes, but uh, perhaps could be summed up as trying to get uh, Chevron to deal with their uh, the effects of what they've created, the legal ramifications, um, and then what the the torturous, the insane, the the suspenseful, but also really crazy legal process that has come out of this that has not just involved one, but something like five countries. Well, and you left out the word creepy legal creepy. process. I mean, really creepy and corrupt to the core. Let let me just. Um, by the way, hi to all your listeners, and thank you, Manda, for folk you and for this show. But I would start by saying that Chevron is not only doing this in Ecuador. This is this appears to be, and when I say this, pollution, human rights violations, abuse, rapes, murders. It's a tragic story, but. A good friend of mine, Dr. Nan Greer, uh, wrote uh, a report on Chevron's crimes all over the world. She documented 65 international litigations against Chevron, not just by victims, but in some cases the victims were nations themselves, like Australia and so forth. But documenting 65 litigations against Chevron in 31 countries for environmental damage, criminal abuse, and industrial crimes. In Kazakhstan, in Burma, in Chad, Cameroon, in Angola, Brazil, in the U.S., in Nigeria. The story in Nigeria is just brutal. But here's, here's what it looks like to me, that this corporation, Chevron has a corporate policy to violate any environmental laws they want, to refuse to pay taxes, to attack the countries that are hosting them, to, to, Im, to try to intimidate them, to refuse to pay any court judgment against it, and just to fight everybody with lawyers. They have spent an estimated over $2 billion refusing to pay and fighting the victims and fighting the lawyers just in Ecuador. And and there's 30 other countries in which they're doing this. So I have no idea what their total legal budget is to defend themselves against all their crimes, but it's in the range of $50 billion that they've spent uh, defending themselves against all these violations, of which a few of which I will go into detail. But in Ecuador... They spilled um, something like 140 billion gallons of toxic oil waste into the jungles of the Amazon basin in Ecuador and destroyed uh, 
the communities there, the indigenous communities and the campesinos, including the Kishwa, the Shuar, the Hurani, the Sequoia, the Siona, uh, the Kofan, the Ashur, and other indigenous peoples that are just innocently, quietly living in the Amazon jungle and hurting no one. And they destroyed their lives. They destroyed their communities and they destroyed the land and water. And they refused to pay a dime, but they're willing to pay $2 billion to lawyers and private investigators to, to avoid paying the cost. So we're going to get into a great deal more depth around uh, all of this, but I realize we need to back up because I didn't even so much as say who you are. Uh, so today we have Rex Weiler with us. Rex, can we start by um, you telling us a little bit about why you got involved? Like, why do you know so much about this case? Uh Ian Watson who and Victoria, who now live on Cortez, were helping the lawyers fight this case. And Ian approached me about six years ago now. Uh, would I be willing to help um, the lawyers and the defendants? And I went to Ecuador... I met with the victims, I met with the communities, I met with their spokespeople. Heartbreaking stories, really heartbreaking. The cancer cases, birth defects, destroyed communities. I, I went with farmers on their land 30 years after the oil field had been shut down. Uh, and you know you only have to dig down about six inches and you just get black muck. I mean, really sad story. So I got involved really on the suggestion of Ian Watson, who approached me and asked if I would help the lawyers. And I've been involved ever since, and I've been working with the lead lawyer, Stephen Donziger, who's in New York. And uh, I have visited him in New York, and and I've worked, uh, and I've, of course, been to Ecuador and worked with the people there. Essentially, what we're trying to do is enforce the judgment that was made in a court in Ecuador awarding the victims um, $9.5 billion. So this is a liability on the books, on the Chevron books. Chevron has a $9.5 billion debt liability that, that they're refusing to pay. So it's a, it's a completed court case that it has gone, and Chevron chose that jurisdiction, Ecuador. They didn't want this case in the U.S. or Canada. They wanted it in Ecuador. And we'll talk about end up why they did that. But they chose that venue. It went. They lost in court. They lost in the appeals court. And they lost in the Supreme Court of Ecuador. Seventeen uh, judges in Ecuador confirmed Chevron was responsible and Chevron's liable. And the judgment, final judgment of the Supreme Court of Ecuador, $9.5 billion, which today with inflation and what they haven't paid and what they owe is now about $12 billion. It's what they owe the people and they're refusing to pay. That's how I got involved. So let's start right there. Um, you, uh, So I believe that uh, it was actually Texaco, right, that started, um, which became Chevron. Uh, that discovered oil in the Ecuador 
northeastern Amazon basin in 1964. Uh, is that the kind of the beginning of the story as we as we yeah. know it? Yes, and it's a very similar beginning to places like Nigeria. Poor countries that have oil, it's like a curse because the major oil companies go there. They ignore environmental regulations. They do what they want. They try to intimidate and bully, and in some cases, they bribe and intimidate the governments themselves. Uh, and that's what they did in Ecuador. So, yes, the beginning of the story is the discovery of oil in Ecuador. And uh, Texaco was the original country company, but Chevron bought Texaco, I believe, in 20, 2010, uh, t- 2009. I'm not sure exactly when. The, when but anyway, Chevron bought the bought. Texaco. So now, when you buy a company, of course, not only do you get the company's assets, but you get their liabilities, too. So it's 100% uh, liability. It was in 2000 that they bought, that Chevron bought Texaco. Um, but when you buy a company, you buy the liabilities. You can't just erase the liabilities from the book, although they're try- they're, that's what they're trying to do. And so, uh, I mean, let's go, t- I mean, I understand they went in and they left a huge mess. They've devastated uh, communities and the ecological community. But were, was Texaco um, doing it? Texaco now Chevron were they doing anything different there, um, or is this is this the way is this par for the course or is the it's way it's par that- for the course in a poor country that can't defend itself? They could never get away with this in the United States or Canada or Europe. Uh, essentially what they did is by ignoring all the environmental regulations, normal environmental regulations, which exist in Ecuador, but they just ignored them. But they exist in the United States and Canada, too, because you can't just dump billions of gallons of toxins into people's environments. Uh, But by ignoring those regulations... Texaco uh, Chevron saved about $3 per barrel during the production of oil, and they produced about 1.7 billion barrels of oil in those fields. So they saved about $5 billion. They made an extra $5 billion rather than pay pay the costs of meeting the regulations for... uh, dealing with their waste. So it, it was just pure money. We can make more money by ignoring the regulations, poisoning these people's lands, creating a cancer and birth defects among these communities, epidemic of cancers in, in Ecuador, and we can make $5 billion more. And so we're a, we're a good board uh, we're, we're a good board of directors because we've made more money for our shareholders. We made $5 billion more. Screw the people in Ecuador. Too bad for the people that are born with birth defects and cancers and die from cancer and the ruined communities and ruined families. Screw them. We made $5 billion. It's really that simple. It's a, it's a, cra- it's a crime of theft, really, of stealing that money that should have been paid to, to do it properly. And they just took the money and said, "Forget about it." But even this amount, the you know, the five billion they saved, the nine billion that they owe, uh, that they're not, they have not paid. Does any of that begin to account for what 
I have to imagine is unaccountable, which are numerous lost human lives, um, children with tumors, and ecosystems that like will never be restored. I mean, or it, was the nine billion actually representative of the number of trying to begin to restore those communities? Well, that was the idea. Like, had Chevron just had Chevron paid the nine million after after the court case, which would have been the proper thing to do. But of course, any corporation would have tried to negotiate a settlement. And had they done that, had Chevron attempted to negotiate a settlement, which means, well, we think nine billion is too much, would you accept two billion? The people of Ecuador would have taken the two billion, and the two billion would have been enough to at least establish clinics. But now it's a generation too late. Entire, an entire generation of people in Ecuador have died and had lost lives and, and, and children with birth defects because they, they didn't settle right in the beginning. They could have had clinics. They could have cleaned it up. They could have uh, helped people with health issues and, and been a model of corporate responsibility instead of being a model of corporate criminal behavior, which apparently... The board of directors of Chevron is comfortable with this reputation, which they have all over the world, from Nigeria and Kazakhstan to Ecuador and North America, of being corporate criminals. And they don't care. They don't appear to care. It's part of their corporate policy. We're not going to pay. We're going to fight you. It's almost unbelievable for people like us living on Cortez who at least try to practice just basic common decency. We're not going to, you know, make a few dollars at the cost of somebody else. And yet here's this corporation doing it on a global scale for billions and billions of dollars, stuffing their pockets. And is this somehow different? What Chevron, this practice of Chevron somehow different from how all other oil companies behave? Not necessarily. I mean, Shell Oil has a, has some dark history also in Nigeria and elsewhere, uh, with and has a similar appears to have a similar policy. Some oil companies appear to be a little more responsible. Uh, British Petroleum, for example, when there was the blowout in um, in the Gulf of Mexico at their well, uh, I can't remember exactly how much they paid, but it was in the range of twenty billion dollars or more that they paid for the cleanup and for damages, $20 billion. So these oil companies have the money. But it's similar to Exxon, what Exxon did in, in, with the spill of the Exxon Valdez in the coast of Alaska and British Columbia. Uh, they did the same thing that Chevron's doing. They fought for years to not pay and then finally made a settlement and then still didn't pay the settlement and then the, the victims had to go back to court. I mean, some of these corporations, and there's Exxon, Shell, and Chevron right at the top of the, of the gangsters, gangster oil companies, who appeared to have come to the conclusion that it's more profitable for them and their shareholders to ignore all these regulations. So it, it's not uncommon in the oil industry, but it's not necessarily universal. There are oil companies who try to pr practice sort of basic decency and legality. 
Okay, so let's get into some of the the legal drama. Um, and it does feel like it is a legal drama. Um, we 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 realize there's this court case in Ecuador. Uh, Chevron is found to own to owe, or it's actually Texaco at the time, right? The is found to well, owe this money. It's not. Texaco Chevron are really at this point historically one thing. Okay, They're not two different companies. It's one company. Um, when Chevron bought Texaco, they just folded Texaco into themselves. So it's not really two different companies. It's it's Chevron. Chevron is responsible now. They bought the company. They bought Texaco. They own it. They own the, the liability. They're responsible for the liability. So we're really t- so. This this is one way. This is just one of the many ways that Chevron tries to obfuscate and make. Oh, it wasn't us. It was tech. You know, they use this to try and say, paint the picture that it wasn't them that did the damage, but it was. Uh, and um, so, forget about Texaco. It's it's now Chevron. Texaco is now Chevron, and Chevron owes the money. Uh, a, a rose by any other name, yeah. <laughs> or in this case, a, um, a okay, criminal by a any criminal other. by any other name. Um, okay, so then in two thousand one, I see here on the timeline, Chevron decides they want to move this case uh, from Ecuador to the U.S. But they've already have they already at that point been found to. Uh, owe money to be liable in Ecuador? Yeah. You see, they, 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 they actually, it was the opposite. They moved this case originally from the U.S. It was filed originally in the United States. And Chevron said, no, 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 this is inappropriate to have this trial in the United States. 30,000 class action victims filed a case in New York. Chevron said, no, no, not New York, not the United States. That's the wrong venue. It should be in Ecuador. And they fought hard to get it moved to Ecuador. So the case got moved to Ecuador. And the evidence seems to suggest that they thought they would be able to bribe enough judges and and convince the Ecuadorians that it would be in their interest to not convict them. But it didn't happen that way. When the evidence came into court, it was overwhelming. There were... Um, the uh, 54 judicial site inspections where they actually dug into the ground to see what happened. The average Chevron waste pit was 200 times more contaminated than would have been allowed in the United States or in Ecuador at the time. Uh, And there were illegal levels of barium, cadmium, copper, mercury, lead, and so forth in the water and in the land. It was a mess. It It was probably the single largest ecological holocaust of all time or it's certainly in the top you know three um um, just a massive massive toxic spill so um they moved they wanted to move the case to ecuador because they thought they could manipulate the courts in ecuador but they didn't they lost they lost the case they lost the appeal and they lost in the supreme court lost lost and lost they owe the 9.5 billion Done deal. Now they, no one has ever overturned that decision. Not in Ecuador. Not anywhere in the world. That decision has not been overturned. 
But here's, here we come to why Chevron wanted this case tried in Ecuador. Because now, then, after they lost and lost and lost again, now they claim, oh, Ecuador, oh, well, you know, we can't get a fair trial in Ecuador. It was a fraud. They claimed the whole court case was a fraud. This was an eight-year court case that they lost, and now they claim it's a fraud, and therefore they can't pay. And then they, they found an ex-judge in Ecuador who had been removed. By the way, Ecuador has an excellent judicial system, and they're very proud of it, and it's world-class, and and they they fight corruption all the time. And, uh, there was a judge in Ecuador that had taken a bribe, and he got dismissed from the court. Well, anyway, Chevron found this guy, paid him over a million dollars, brought him to the United States, and had him claim that he knew about some fraud associated with the case, the pollution case in Ecuador. He claimed that the lawyers for the defense, for the victims, had tried to bribe, didn't actually bribe, but allegedly tried to bribe the judge, and that the defense lawyers wrote the judge's decision for him and gave it to him on a thumb drive, computer thumb drive. Okay, so this was this guy's story in a U.S. court claiming that that the case could not be collected in a U.S. court because it was a fraudulent case in Ecuador. Now, the lawyers who represented Chevron, Gibson Dunn, they're just as bad as Chevron. They're evil all over the world. They've been cited by courts for maliciousness, for intimidation, for abuse of witnesses, for manufacturing false evidence— notorious all over the world this this company who did this same trick when dole when the dole fruit company was accused or charged with uh harm through pollutants to workers in nicaragua and the same legal firm, Gibson Dunn, did the same thing. They find some person from Nicaragua who will come and say, oh, the whole thing was a fraud. They made it up. So they, and, and bec- they think they can do this in South America, in fr- with South American courts because basically it's racism. It's like people in the United States will believe that the Ecuadorian courts or that the Nicaraguan courts are corrupted. They must be corrupted. They're in South America. Um, it's just racism. So they use racism as a way of convincing the American public, as a way as well as the American courts, that they were fraudulently charged with these crimes. So that's what they claimed. They claimed that the whole thing was a fraud, and that the lawyers had had written the judgment, and that we actually have in our possession uh, a 2009 internal memo from the public relations, the person who was running the public relations campaign about this case for Chevron. And uh, he wrote to Chevron's um, 
executive William Irwin in 2009 explaining the strategy, and he said, our long-term strategy is to demonize Donzinger. Now, who's Donzinger? Donzinger was the lawyer working for the victims. So we have in their writing that their strategy is to demonize the lawyer who helped the victims. And that's what they set out to do. And they set out to do that in 2009, and so for the last um, 13 years, that's what they have been doing, spending billions of dollars to demonize the lawyers and make it look like fraud. Okay, so uh, I want to fully understand the background of this part. Um, So first, I don't understand why uh, Chevron gets to reopen this case in the U.S. They don't. They don't get to reopen the case. They've initiated a completely new case, and it has no bearing on the existing case. You can't reopen a case that's decided in one country. If, if, if you sue me and you win in, in Canada, I can't go to Germany and, and ask the German courts to take the That doesn't work that way. International law does not work that way. You can't do it. But what Chevron did was file what we call a slap suit, a strategic lawsuit to intimidate. They filed a slap suit against the lawyer, Donzinger, and several of the victims and accused them of fraudulently, of, of they accused them of fraud. This is after an eight-year court case with 54 on-site judicial inspections of, of the crime scene, and they're claiming fraud. So why do they get to claim fraud in the U.S.? Because they found a friendly judge, Lewis Kaplan, who's a corporate-friendly judge who spent most of his, his private practice defending tobacco companies, who loves corporations and hates do-gooder lawyers who try to help the victims. Uh, Kaplan is, I I call Kaplan the most biased judge since Ponser's pilot. (laughs) This guy is a piece of work. Judge Lewis Kaplan in the second district in New York. um, He's, he's biased. Uh, You can find, you know, accounts of lawyers who have experienced Kaplan online. uh, And, uh, you know, you see quotes like this. He's a pro-corporate judge. That's a widely held reputation. He's the worst of the worst. That's a quote. Worst of the worst. When, when the defendant's not a wealthy white businessman, he's nasty and condescending. You have no chance. Working for big, He works for big business interests. He's part of the old boy network. Beware if you're not connected. And the Republic of Ecuador uh, referred to Judge Kaplan because he, and then he said, this is again a quote, insults to the Ecuadorian courts, bias in favor of the corporate plaintiff. And this goes on and on. In other words, they found, they didn't have to look very hard, they knew who he was. They got the friendly judge, who they knew would do whatever they ask, and they said, we want to claim that this was a fraudulent decision in Ecuador, and we want to charge this lawyer with fraud. So they're making a separate charge in the United States, charging with And then they bring this bogus witness, this ex, ex-communicated judge from Ecuador who's been dumped for bribe, taking a bribe. 
They bring him to the United States. They pay him a million dollars. They get him and his family. This is Alberto Guerra. They get him and his family into the United States, pay him a million dollars, pay all of his expenses, buy him a new car, get him a home, and move him to the United States, and he goes into court and, and makes this fraud claim. Completely manufactured false evidence. And, of course, Judge Kaplan allowed it. And he allowed this. And now the the victims are trying to even find this guy, Guerra, to bring him into the court because he later admitted that he lied. He had to. He was in another court case, and it was brought up. You said this happened. He says, well, uh, yeah, I might have stretched the truth there or something like that. In other words, he basically admitted that he lied in, in the in the case in the United States. But now, when the plaintiffs are trying to find him, he's disappeared. Can't find Guerra. Where's, where's Alberto Guerra? He's the only person in the history of this case who has made any claim that there was any fraud in the Ecuador case. And he got brought to the United States by Chevron and by their lawyers at Gibson Dunn. He, he was coached for 50 days. He had 51 meetings or something like that with the Chevron lawyers, coached what to say, bribed, and lied in the courtroom. But this Judge Kaplan just accepted it all as if it was gospel. Oh, here's a witness who says he observed a fraud crime. And so they managed... They ended up charging, they could never prove this against Donziger or the lawyers, but the judge made a ruling that Donziger had to turn over all his cell phones and computers to the the Chevron lawyers. And the lawyer for the plaintiff says, no, you can't make me turn over, you can't make me give all my private communications with my clients to the, no. And so then the judge made a charge of uh, violation of court order. So we charged Donziger with violating this court order to turn over his cell phone and computer, which was not even a valid order. And so they've, they've spent the last three years running Donziger through the U.S. courts and actually that when, when they asked the public prosecutor in New York to try Donziger on these charges. The public prosecutor refused. It was too absurd. So this Judge Kaplan, this guy who hates victims and their lawyers, selected a private law firm to try the case. Unbelievable, Amanda. I've never heard it. I've I've experienced a lot of real sleazy stuff by corporations, but I've never seen anything like this. This is unbelievable. A private law firm with Chevron as a client, a a private law firm that's in deep with all the oil companies all over the world, an oil company law firm, they hire this oil company law firm to do a private prosecution of a lawyer, which, of course, they end up, and I put this in quote marks, convicting. Or, no, they, it's not really actually a conviction. 
a judgment by this trumped-up kangaroo court that that Donsger was guilty of of. Wait, so the law firm is gets put in the position of being able to be the judge. Well, no, they have to bring in another judge, but they bring in another friend of Kaplan's. They bring in another corporate-friendly colleague of Kaplan's and former partner of Kaplan, former legal partner, to be the so-called, and I put this in quotes, judge, who goes along with this. Now, Donziger just got released from home detention for all of this... Okay, wait, let's go back a little bit too now and talk about who is Stephen Donziger. So he's the lawyer who's defending, who in the original case, the case in Ecuador that is working with the victims? Yes. Okay, so tell us a little bit about who this guy is and how he got involved in the case to begin with. He's, a, he's a, just a normal, very smart guy from... Uh, where is he from? Virginia? So, anyway, he went to Harvard. Uh, he he went to uh, law school at Harvard. He graduated from law school at Harvard. He did. Uh, he's done tons of work uh, helping people get legal representation. Uh, he's he's reviewed international claims of corruption and so forth. He's he's just been a good lawyer who's worked for the worked for people who need help and that's been his entire career but he got very early on he got involved uh with this case he was not the lead lawyer in the beginning although he's the lead lawyer now um but right really right out of law school right out of harvard law school this is pretty much it's not the only case he's ever worked on but it's pretty much been the case of his entire career has been this case and uh, so he, and he took the and he took it on. And when they won in in um, in Ecuador, and then Chevron refused to pay, many people from the other, rest of the law other law firms. It's very difficult to do these cases if you're not getting paid. So they had to raise money to get paid and. Uh, you know, you're going up against Chevron, who's got hundreds, literally hundreds of lawyers on this one case. I've been to some of these courtrooms where Chevron's in there. They take up the whole courtroom with their lawyers. They've got, they got 30 or 40 lawyers, all with boxes full of documents, parading around, all in you know, million-dollar suits, and they're looking, looking snazzy and intimidating the judges. But, okay, so here you have some lawyers who, for, the, for the victims who aren't even getting paid. And, and you just got one or two people with a couple of assistants or volunteers, and you're up against this corporation who's willing to spend $2 billion fighting you. So... <coughs> Excuse me. That's what. That's sort of the legal background of what this looks like. It's basically just legal bullyism. In fact, Chevron has actually been charged with 
and this is a direct quote from, from one judge, legal thuggery, gamemanship. Here's some of the things that Chevron's been charged for, and this law firm that they use, Gibson Dunn. Legal thuggery, misconduct, tampering with witnesses, obstruction, gamemanship, flagrant disregard for court orders, attempts to smear the legal profession and other lawyers, concealing key documents, deceptions, lies, abuse. These are all direct quotes from judges who have censored this law firm and, and Chevron in these cases. Misconduct, uh, which is a product of a culture that permeates the Gibson Dunn Crutcher law firm, that misconduct and corruption is just part of how they do business. They've been accused of abusive tactics, attempts to smear and discredit their adversaries, fabricating evidence, as they did in this case, misleading the courts, and in one case a judge accused them of a lack of moral compass. They have no moral compass. The um, uh, England, the High Court of Justice in England, uh, accused the same law firm of a lack of moral compass and deliberately misleading the court by uh, creating falsified documents and submitting falsified documents to the court. This is the law firm that's def- that's defending this corporate criminal of Chevron. It's just it's just criminals from top to bottom. It's sleazeballs and criminals from top to bottom from the from the management. Of, of Chevron to the management of the Gib- Gibson Dunn law firm to the lawyers all the way down to their 30 lawyers sitting in a courtroom in fancy suits intimidating the lawyers. It's just criminals all the way down as far as I can see. So we have this we have this original case. Uh, Donzinger, Stephen Donzinger is one of the lawyers on that case and then and he becomes the main lawyer over time. And then we have what it appears to be in the U.S. is just, uh, well, I mean, it is a slap lawsuit, but it appears to be ongoing um, institutional bullying of Stephen Donzinger with, I guess, the hope that they'll sh- cr- like make a model and lesson from him to scare off any future. Oh, of course. That's part of their strategy. That's part of the legal strategy is refuse to pay violate any law you want and just fight them in court and then intimidate any lawyer who goes up against them and intimidate all the other lawyers who observe what happens when you go up. How many lawyers have the guts to go up against a company like Shell or Chevron? Not very many. And it takes somebody special. It takes, takes a lawyer with the courage to do it, and that's Stephen Donzinger. And he's never given up, and he hasn't given up to this day, and he's not going to give up. And they've dragged him through courts for the last three years, accusing him of crimes. So let's talk a little bit more about the Donzinger uh, case in particular. Just let let me add a couple of things about Stephen Donzinger has been supported by Amnesty International, by a a legal ethics report from Professor Ellen uh, Urensky, uh, at the University of California who claims that that the Chevron lawyers' uh, court decisions were flawed and with conflicts of interest. 29 Nobel laureates have written letters uh, supporting Stephen Donziger for his, his work with these victims. Um, 
475 international lawyers who belong to the International Association of Democratic Lawyers signed a letter um, supporting Donsger and supporting his case and making the point that this was not fraud. 40 international environmental and civil rights organizations have supported um, Donziger, including Global Witness, uh, which... Uh, made this statement regarding the case. The case is a systematic pursuit of New York, New York lawyer Stephen Donziger, and it fails the basic principles of due process. In other words, what you said is true. It's just bullying. It's you're bigger, you're stronger, you got billions of dollars, you bully your victims until they give up. And so in this case, we haven't given up. Now, wasn't there also uh, – so Donzinger ended up being on house arrest for three years. And did that end up actually happening after the case against him was dropped even? Yeah, this was just all manufactured by this kangaroo court created by this biased corporate judge, Lewis Kaplan, the most biased judge since Pontius Pilate. It's all, and none of it would stand up to review. None of it stands up. And Donsger's even been cleared by other courts who refuse to take this case and say it's ridiculous. It's all a smokescreen, Amanda. They don't even have to actually get a conviction that could stand. All they have to do is create a story to tell. It's storytelling. It's public relations. It's PR. Oh, oh, that case in Ecuador. Oh, that's been proven to be a fraud. That's what they'll say. If a journalist phones up the Chevron PR department right now and says, could I get a quote on why you've refused to pay this $9.5 billion in Ecuador? I can tell you exactly what they'll say. They'll say, oh, oh, that Ecuador case. No, that's been shown to be a fraud. End of story. End. That's their story. I mean, Machiavelli would be proud, you know. George Orwell predicted this. This is just outright lie and malfeasance and evilness and getting away with it. And, however, have they totally gotten away with it? Because, no. right, They did they file, um, I mean, one, they they did win in Ecuador. They're just, they're refusing to pay. And then... Um, was it in 2012 that the uh, they filed an enforcement action in the Ontario Ontario Superior Court of Justice in Toronto? Yeah, and that's not over yet. So the plan is now it could come back to Canada that we'll fight this in, in, in because you have to you have to win a case somewhere where Chevron has ass- assets. The, the Ecuadorian courts could not force Chevron to pay because Chevron sold all their assets in Ecuador as the case was going along. And by the end of the case, they had sold all their assets and they refused to pay. So Ecuador had no way to force them to pay. Chevron has assets in Canada. So, and they have assets in Australia and they have assets in Brazil and they have assets in other jurisdictions. So we can enforce this. And this is the plan. And this is what's been, this is what why Chevron has been attacking Donziger himself to paint this as a fraud because they don't want to face 
this in any other jurisdiction because if they had to face this in another jurisdiction, let's take Canada, for example, if they had to come here to Canada and fight a case here in Canada, they would have to say, oh, no, it was a fraud in Ecuador. That's why we didn't pay. It was a fraud. And then the Canadian, the lawyers in Canada would say, well, we want to talk to this Guerra guy because he's the only witness that it was a fraud. Can we talk to Guerra? Where's Guerra? Where's Alberto Guerra, the, the the guy that got a million dollars and disappeared and is the only, only witness that has ever accused anybody associated with the victim's case of fraud. We want to talk to Guerra, and they don't, they don't want to have to produce Guerra because we'll put him on the stand and, we'll, and he'll have to say, you know, or lie, for which he'll go to jail. It's not true what he said. He made it up. There's there's zero evidence to back up what he said. So, anyway, that's the that's Chevron's fear, but it's our strength, is that we can take this case into Australia, Brazil, Canada, anywhere that Chevron has assets, and and uh, enforce the judgment. We don't have to win the case again. The case has already been won, and and won in appeal and won at the Supreme Court level, in a jurisdiction that Chevron picked. Done deal. The case is a done deal. We don't have to win the case. The case is won. All we have to do is collect the money. That's what's going on. This is a bill collection. And there's not a, an international world core or an organization that uh, enforces this kind of uh, settlement on on corporations that just jump from country to country? Not one that the United States doesn't control, and the U.S. can intimidate. No, there's not, there's not an international court that has enough teeth to do this. The international court, the Hague, and so forth, they can and have in the past ruled against corporate crimes, um, and it's not impossible, but... You still have to you still have to win this case against Chevron in a in a jurisdiction in which Chevron has assets. So you have to win it in a national court somewhere, uh, and um, so that is now the plan. It's always been the plan. It's been and it got derailed for a few years because of this these false accusations against Donziger, but. Um, Donsker's out now, and he's back, and he's he's going to fight to the end, and so are all the rest of us. And, you know, I've always said if we don't give up, we win. That, that's the only thing we have to do is not give up because they owe the money. And is, it, is, is this case then dead in the U.S. because of basically what appears no. to be corruption? No, it's not dead in the U.S. It's been made really difficult in the U.S. Because now, to go into the U.S., now you have this story. It's not even a court fine. It's not even a court decision. It's just a story. And they've they've wrapped it in enough sort of legal uh, dress that it, it looks like it's a conviction against Donziger. But it's not a conviction. It's just one bought off, paid off, judge made a ruling that has not been fought on appeal and would never stand up to appeal. So it's just somebody said something. That's all they have. 
And then they have this false witness who they've managed to make disappear. And that's it. That's all they have. And so this is why I say if we don't give up, we win. Because what, what else do they have? They got nothing. They, we spent eight years in, in a court case in Ecuador, and they lost, lost, and lost the third time. Chevron lost. That's a done deal. And so really, it really literally is just a bill collection. It's a, it's a collection uh, case now. And they're fighting collection by claiming that the original decision was a fraud. And then there's this case in Canada. Are there actually cases moving forward um, to, in Australia, Brazil, and no. elsewhere? Or those are just on? No, they of- ha- they, well, there's, there's work being done in all those countries. But um, we're going to have to refile a collection case in one or all of those jurisdictions. And... Um, or any other jurisdiction. Now we know, after reading um, Nan Greer's report, that there's 65 international litigations against Chevron in 31 countries. It, you know what occurs to me is maybe we should do a class action of class actions. What if you took all those 65 international litigations against Chevron and you pooled all of those lawyers together and said, we're going to do a class action of you, of you 65 cases, we're going to do a class action lawsuit against Chevron. That would be interesting. It'd be really interesting. We're going to collect for all of these. We're going to collect for Nigeria. We're going to collect for Kazakhstan and Burma and Chad and Angola and Brazil and Australia and, and in the United States where Chevron has committed crimes. We're going to collect for everybody. How about that? And, and what's that bill going to be? 65 international litigations? Well, if they're all worth $10 billion, then that's $650 billion, isn't it? That's why Chevron doesn't want to lose one single case. They don't want it to be shown. This is what they're afraid of. They don't want it to be shown that they are actually liable and responsible for these crimes and once you know once the dam bursts you know they could be you know the five billion dollars they made in ecuador by not following the regulations might turn into a 600 billion dollar bill for all their crimes worldwide it's mind-boggling isn't it's it? mind-boggling it's mind-boggling and you think you know um you, we, we tend to sort of accept our legal systems and our, you know, and 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 feel that most corporations are trying to do the right thing, and that corporations just by being a corporation doesn't make them all evil, and you know, be reasonable certainly in any accusations against anybody, but here you have the situation of really one of the most evil corporate, probably the most evil corporation that ever existed, getting away with crimes all over the world as a corporate policy, Amanda. This isn't just a one-off or a couple of places where, oh, there was a pipeline leak or something. No, this is corporate policy to make more money by ignoring regulations, by intimidating people. And the crimes that they've been accused of around the world in Nigeria and Kazakhstan and Burma and so forth, these are crimes 
not just spilling oil on the ground. These are crimes of rape, murder, intimidation, violence against people's property, uh, bribes to governments, refusing to pay taxes. I mean, it's it's everything. It's It appears to be Chevron corporate policy to obey no laws that limit their their ability to put maximum cash in their own pockets. What I don't understand is if we can have uh, laws that allow us to try war criminals who we can show we're just following orders and et cetera, how is it possible that we are not able to hold uh, shareholders, trustees of a corporation that is doing so many crimes, how is it that they are not being personally held responsible for the crimes that they are enacting under the name of their corporation? Corporate law, limited liability. What does limited liability mean? It means that the in, a limited liability is what makes the whole corrupt system work because the individual shareholders and managers can't be held liable for anything more than what they've invested. And the managers, you can fire a manager, you can fire a CEO, and but there's no personal liability. That's what the whole corporate structure does, Amanda. It's like it indemnifies the individuals from ever having to take personal responsibility. But it, it doesn't indemnify the corporation from taking corporate responsibility. So, and, of course, if we lived in a democracy, that might be thinkable to do what you're suggesting. But we don't live in a democracy. We live in an oligarchy. We, and, you know, we, we mock the Russian oligarchs. But there are Canadian oligarchs who run Canada and American oligarchs who more or less run the United States. And our... Our countries are not real democracies. They're run by elites and the wealthy and the corporate. And imagine how much power Chevron has all over the world. If they can spend $2 billion, that's $2,000 million. Now, with $2,000 million, you can buy off a lot of people, can't you? And there's always someone corrupt enough to take the money and you know, so a company like Chevron has tremendous political power in the world. And this is part of the problem of our democracies is that it's not one person, one vote. It's money. And if you have the money, you can buy the lawyers. You can even buy the judges in the courts, apparently. And so it's not a fair fight, is it, between the victims who, in this case, in the Ecuador case, the victims are isolated communities of indigenous people living off the land who have no money fighting a corporation that can spend $2 billion attacking their lawyers and attacking the victims. So, you know, to solve, the, to solve these problems on the large scale we really have to look at reforming our democracies right down to the core and of, and somehow eliminating the power of money to corrupt the legal process. Anyway, um, this is a huge issue that goes, of course, beyond this case, but just this case enough is big enough. 
Uh, and, of course, the other 65-plus international litigations in 31 countries against Chevron. Chevron now looks to me, from my research, like the grandest corporate criminal of all time. I mean, I used to think, well, Monsanto, that was purchased by Bayer a few years ago. I used to think, well, maybe Monsanto is the greatest corporate criminal of all time. But no, I think Chevron, Chevron beats them out for greatest corporate criminal of all time. We can put them in a ring and and see what happens. We could we could have we could have a cage match between <laughs> Monsanto and, and Chevron to see who's the ev- most evil. I, I think that, so. Some of these people that I've talked to at Chevron and their lawyers, people I've met and talked to, I get the distinct feeling they're proud of it. They're proud of how nasty they are. They're, it's like it's like the bully at school who doesn't care what anybody thinks and they're just they're just going to bully everybody they can and and they they act like they're impervious they act like they're immune to any any sort of retali- any sort of of responsibility for what they do and and that's just how it feels all right, I'm going to let you know that you're listening to Folk U Radio here on CKTZ Cortez Community Radio 89.5 FM or on the web at cortezradio.ca. We've been listening today to Rex Weiler, and he's been giving us a little bit of background on what we're calling Chevron Soup. But this is the uh, case against Chevron. Chevron. Uh, they originally, um, they lost in Ecuador nine and maybe nine and a half billion dollars that they owe to the victims in Ecuador. Uh, and now they are running around the world bullying um, their way out of paying that money. But um, not all hope is lost. We're going to go to a little bit of a music break where you can call and ask your questions to Rex at 250-935-0200. Please do let us know what you're thinking and we'll try to get it answered. And you also, if you're curious about Uh, more on Rex's views of democracy and whether there is hope for democracy. You can listen to our past Folk You on this uh, issue with Rex called Is There Hope for Democracy? I believe is what it's called, and that is at folkyou.ca backslash podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll be right back. Do call in with your questions.
You are listening to Folk U Radio here on CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio, on the web at cortezradio.ca or on your radio dial at 89.5 FM. Today we have had Rex Weiler joining us and leading us through the soap opera-esque story of Chevron's crimes against humanity and against nature uh, and the case that in Ecuador, but other similar cases around the world. Um, it is, there's been so much to it. If you've missed any part of the show, I do encourage you to go back and listen to the whole thing on folku.ca podcast. But Rex, if people want to learn more uh, or stay up to date on what is going on um, uh, in the attempt to get to Chevron to own up to their, their crimes and pay their debt to Ecuador, how can people find out more about this? Uh, a good source of information is Amazon Watch. Uh, they they've been working on this case really all along as uh, almost as long as as Donziger. Um, so Amazon Watch has some good information on this case. Amnesty International has a statement on this case. So if you, if you Google uh, Chevron Ecuador and then Amnesty International or Global Witness, uh, even the European Parliament made a statement. Um, there's uh, tw- 29 Nobel laureates have signed on to a letter. Uh, I believe you can find that online. Um, when you go online for this story, of course, you have to be careful because Chevron continually tries to intimidate people to take down any negative stories about it. And uh, they actually and, and scrub the Internet of any information, and they make it really difficult. Plus, they flood the Internet with pro-Chevron stories talking about how this was all a fraud in Ecuador. So when you first go on and research this story, this was this is what happened to me six years ago when I went on to research the story. I'm getting all these stories about fraud in Ecuador by the defense and how it was all made up and all this stuff. I'm going, what is this? I don't want to get involved with this. Sounds crazy. Of course, I know how to do my research. I, d- I dug in deeper and found out the real story, but um, you really have to wade through the the uh, bullshit. Can I say that? Uh, you have to wade. You have to wade through the the Chevron corporate bullshit and lies. Uh, but there are some good sources. Like I said, Amazon Watch, Global Witness, Amnesty International, uh, the Nobel Laureate Letter. And, and then you just Google my name, Rex Weiler. I've written several articles about it, and you can find all those online. And um, there you have it. it yeah. And we, we'll get you, you know, I don't have it on me. Uh, that's a shame, but I'll get it to you, Amanda, so that uh, if some people may want to even donate to the, the uh, defense fund, which you can do through Stephen Donziger's site, website. So, again, if you Google Stephen Donziger, you'll, and uh, Defense Fund Ecuador, you'll uh, you'll get that, and uh, but I will get you that link, Amanda, so you can pass it on to your to your listeners. And then, what about the documentary Crude? What part of this story does that cover? Well, the, the, there's a documentary film called Crude, uh, which really tells the beginning of the story. It tells about the discovery of oil, 
what happened, uh, how Chevron ignored the waste treatment regulations, how the land got polluted, what happened to the people. Uh, it, it documents things such as, you know, the fact that um, the, um, the actual impact on the people themselves, uh, for, you know, for the, the, the medical studies of cancer incidents near the oil fields, uh, severe exposure to petroleum, hydrocarbons, and so forth. So um, there's, there's lots of information. You just have to dig for it. There's a report by uh, Dr. Miguel San Sebastian on the cancer epidemics, and that was published in Occupational and Environmental Medicine. And basically, it, what they found was that the risk of death from cancer is three to four times higher in this region than the reference population, than the average population. So, you know, they've essentially random murder is, is, what, is what this crime is. Random murder since hundreds of people have, have died from cancer, thousands. Um, and, um, you know, there's lots on this. It's just, it's difficult to, f to find all the information because Chevron does, uh, you know, f they, they have a full-time staff of lawyers and, and assistants and, and researchers and so forth just scrubbing the internet and, and putting up fake news. You know, and again, they've got billions of dollars to do that, so... You have to work. You have to work your way through the minefield of uh, lies and deceit. I do feel like this is an opportunity for another plug on a Folk You podcast, also starring Rex Weiler. This was done in real time, but I believe we actually have the audio on it called "Reading Between the Headlines" about how to find the meat behind the fake news, um, and this is a really incredible and heartbreaking example of that i am looking forward to the documentary thriller that exposes some of the criminal uh behavior of the actual criminal justice system that has also yeah been i mean you know in some ways maybe we should just get out of the legal realm and write the movie i might have to write the movie script and um i don't know I, I think it's good to do everything, you know. We we want to fight them legally, and and we're going to have to fight them in the, you know, public awareness. And people can lie for a while, but you can't lie forever. I mean, your lies catch up with you, and um, so that will happen eventually. Chevron's lies and deceit will catch up with them. But it's a long slog. And in the meantime, people are dying. I mean, like I said, a whole two generations of people have, have passed on now in Ecuador and, and, and suffered the birth defects and cancers and other illnesses and just the fact that they lost their land and, and you know, can't live on their own land and their people are dying. Um, it's too late to save those people. There's nothing that can be done. People, you know, people are dead. <coughs> so... We can't wind back the clock and really fix this, but still, those communities need to get paid and so they can restore that land and also rebuild their communities that were destroyed. And we need to hopefully make it so that there is um, uh, reason not to do this, that it's costly to behave this way in the future. 
or so, or so we hope. Um, I've just made Rex speak this whole time with no uh, water or anything else. Uh, okay, Amanda. Well, thank you very much. I um, I have to go and um, look after my chores like everybody else. But it's really a pleasure to do this. Thanks to Folk U. Thanks to you, Amanda, for creating Folk U. Folk University here on Cortez Island. It's wonderful to be a part of it, and it is is really a, uh, a service to the community to be able to get this information, any all the information that people can hear on your podcast. It's really fantastic work, and I thank you for doing that. Well, people like you make it totally all so much fun. So now, and don't you. forget Love Fest this summer. Sunday, August 14th, it's not all just, you know, dig in and fight all the fights. You know, we have to have some fun, and or at least it helps to have the fun, and build a little community and, and share our time with each other. Love Fest is September, or excuse me, is uh, August 14th, a Sunday, August 14th. It's going to be at Linnea again. Tickets are going to go on sale in about a week. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be so fun, and thanks for the reminder. We do, we have a lot to celebrate, and we, we need to celebrate together as a community. Rex, as always, you're amazing. Neighbors, stay tuned, because after the Folk You outro, we'll have a little, a few updates.